0: Now, trees have always been deep-rooted in our history, our culture and our language. However, it's the belief of my next guest that due to overgrazing and invasive plant species removing nutrients from the forest floor, that Ireland's woodlands are essentially extinct. Joining me now is Owen Connington. Hello Owen, how are you? A Master Student of Regeneration Landscapes at Trinity College Dublin and founder of the, G- the Gaelic Woodland Project. And you want to re-establish our connection with the natural world. Fair to say? That's the hope. You're very welcome. How are you? I'm very well, Brendan. Thanks so you're—I—I I, I had to read that a couple of times. You're a master student at the moment, and you're st- it, the, the the course you're doing is regenerating landscapes.
1: Uh, I'm studying a masters in environmental science. Okay. And I'm doing a bespoke topic looking at regenerating landscapes. Exactly. Amazing,
0: amazing. And how are you getting
1: on? Loving it. Well obsessed uh, uh, because it's so applicable to yeah. to right now. Um, but I'm looking forward to finishing the thesis and submitting it as well. I bet.
0: I bet a lot of hard work. Uh, so. Uh, what is the Gaelic Woodland Project and what is it about regenerating?
1: Uh, so the Gaelic Woodland Project is a social experiment. Uh, we are a company, and uh, now a registered charity, uh, we're a place for people to come together to share their passion for the land and to empower them. So we began in 2019, uh, we began as a motley crew of uh, out and back country uh, <laughs> trying to make things happen. But now we've got uh, over 100 volunteers and some regular people as well coming on board and we're all volunteers, no one's getting paid. We've been fundraising to buy land, to to create new forests. And we've been going into uh, long-established woodlands to remove the invasive species and turn them into firewood.
0: So we don't want to skim over that because it's quite a beautiful idea. You, you're you you're raising money to buy land to build specifically as well a commemorative forest, is that correct? Exactly. So tell us about that.
1: So um, in 2045, it'll be the 200-year anniversary of the Great Famine. And this was a time when people were scattered to all corners of the world. And I think there is a... Um, a relationship between that, the, the collapse of the language and also the deforestation of the island as well. So we're trying to create um, a place for the international Irish community to come together to create a forest, to commemorate our shared ancestry and give posterity their ecological inheritance
0: oh lovely there's a t-shirt <laughs> give posterity their ecological inheritance uh, and people who donate to the project get a family plot on the land is that correct? That's
1: it yeah so uh, we're giving 21 year licence plots to everybody who donates yeah. and that facilitates intergenerational cooperation so in 21 years you can you, it can be inherited it can be gifted and it can be renewed uh, so every 21 years there's a renewal and it allows us to purchase more land to create more forests and it creates that continuity and hopefully a culture where we become stewards of the land. Because you have a great way with language don't you? Where
0: will it be this commemorative forest? Do we know yet? No we don't. Great mystery to everybody. Okay and and what will you be specifically planting? Native. Absolute native. Absolute native and we're going to. Explain that to me now because what does that actually mean native?
1: Well Ireland is actually very interesting because of the glaciation that occurred here We were the ebb and flow of glaciation so the island was flattened and we have lots of bogs uh, and then you had the uh, the English Channel that developed so we don't have as much floral diversity as Europe but we do have some really distinguished trees so the island would have been predominantly Cecil and Pendunculate Oak which would have formed uh, a special type of habitat called Atlantic Rainforest so Oak is an epic tree it's got a deep tap root it can survive lightning It can survive storms. And because of this, it just allows for these ancient trees to develop. And these things, you know, 30, 35 metres in height. But when it hits that height, it just starts to get wider and wider. And there's one tree in particular in Clare, uh, outside Scarif, 24 feet in diameter. Wow. Yeah, yeah.
0: So how old does that mean that that is? About a
1: thousand years. Wow. Incredible. Mm. Isn't so that incredible? So these uh, ancient trees would have created um, a really unique microtopographical forest floor with lots of bryophytes. They're mosses. Like Ireland has 75% of all the varieties of mosses in Europe. And this would have been a keystone aspect of the Atlantic rainforest that used to cover... It's, you know, there's a conversation there but covering the west coast of Ireland.
0: Yeah. So I'm just looking... You, that was... A, under Breton law, these were all protected. So, you, you, you know a lot about Breton
1: law, don't you? No.
0: No. no oh, you I, don't? I, no, I
1: don't. I have, a, I, have I do.
0: I've all my notes <laughs> here. Don't worry. I've got it. <laughs> but but we, we, we traditionally protected these lands and these trees. Mm. Now, jumping ahead, the reason your project is so important to you is you believe that all this goodness and these forests are pretty much extinct.
1: Well, I know that's such a Dramat- a, da- a daring and dramatic thing to claim, um, and I don't, I wouldn't stand necessarily by that, but I do think it should be brought into the conversation. So Ireland was deforested, Um by the seventeen hundreds, mostly all the forests were gone. The trees that we do have now, um, many of them are from old estates. Yeah. So uh, Glendalock. Hazelwood and Sligo, Killarney National Park. These were the old estates, and they were encouraged to plant trees because the island had been deforested. Um, so, I, I see here your,
0: your your hypothesis
1: that I we don't, and listen,
0: hands up. I agree. The Irish public, myself included, don't realise how bad things are in terms mm. of
1: our forestation. So, so, this is it. So, the trees that we do have are scattered, uh, fragments, uh, isolated woodlands, and I've been looking at. Um, they're called Article 17 reports from the National Parks and Wildlife Service. It's a key part of the uh, Habitats Directive, which is there to protect flora and fauna. Okay. So I've been looking at all these reports since 2007. And the trend is very concerning. Um, so we have invasive species have been repeatedly called uh, high importance pressure. Uh, same with deer overgrazing. What the impact of this is, there's no new trees in the forest. There's no flowers. So when you go into a forest, you will appreciate the the canopy, the great veteran trees, but there's nothing there to replace them. So it's a ticking time bomb because if nothing is there to replace them, when they fall, what's there? Okay, so there's kind of three major problems. The deforestation that happened
0: traditionally over the last... man, basically. Deer, over, and then invasive plants. And it's mm. kind of, when you put it like that, it's like the, it sounds like the end of the world. It's terrifying, isn't it? And
1: it kind of is in many ways, right? It, it's a call to action. That's it. It's a call to action. And when we talk about the Brehan Law, um, there was, just just to give it a, bit, a little bit of context here, it's a very interesting topic. In Ireland in the 6th century, there was over 60 law tracks. Wow. In the UK, just in, our, in England, just to, for comparison, there were four. And there were four that, and each one is attributed to a different king. But in Ireland, the laws seem to have evolved from the landscape. They were related to bees. They were related to common grazing, common woodland. But the trees in particular, there's a law code called uh, the um, Divis- laws, laws of the Neighbourhood. I, I won't try the Irish because it's beyond my tongue. Go on, yeah. <laughs> but they broke down four different types of tree and they created a judgment for damage to each type of tree. So there was legally there was uh, a place for trees and then culturally as well you have trees that were used for inauguration, they were used for marriages and there's records from Geraldus of Wales who's a 12th century chronicler who came here and said terrible things about the Irish but it emphasises the nice things that he said. He said our music was amazing but he said that there was holy men Uh, planting yew trees in sacred spaces. And even now, if you go to a graveyard, you'll see yew trees everywhere. So it was in the law, it was in the culture, and that has been forgotten. So under these laws, certain trees and shrubs were protected based on their importance
0: to the community. Correct, just to surmise, yes. right? Penalties existed for unlawful damage, such as branch cutting, barking and base cutting. And there were four class of trees, mirroring the class of early Irish society, nobles of the wood, commoners of the wood, lower divisions of the wood, and bushes of the wood. It's amazing, isn't yeah. it? Because trees were literally pivotal part of the community and if you damaged them you paid you were, you, you could you pay you could be penalised, basically. Mm. It, it's fantastic, isn't it? Is, yeah. that, is, is, any, you trying to, is any of that making that into your thesis?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm touching on that. My, my hypothesis is that we're experiencing some kind of post-colonial amnesia. Uh, so in, 19, in 1601... <laughs> I couldn't agree more.
0: <laughs> I actually couldn't agree more, but we won't get into that, but go on, yeah. <laughs> so in
1: 1601, uh, there was a royal uh, c- commission or a law that set, essentially said the great woods of Ireland were reserved for the crown. Uh, And then subsequently the forests were removed and then eventually relegated to the estates. So I feel the Irish have been disinherited from their woodland culture. And if you talk about forests now, people will presume a monoculture plantation of North American spruce is an Irish forest and it's not an Irish forest. We don't even know what we used to have because no one's alive that remembers it. Oh, wild!
0: Okay, where where does your passion for this come from? Were you always into nature?
1: Not at all, not at all. I I, I would climb trees, um, and I would f- frolic in the fields as a child. But I never really knew uh, the complexities of it. But uh, I was teaching in Canada. I was teaching English to kids from inner city Toronto. So they would have like social social issues or addictions, and we would take them four and a half five hours north of Toronto into the into the woods, no Wi Fi. Bears, you know, this is where we're going to take you away from that environment and we're going to teach you English uh, to take the pressure off them during the school year. And it was for them. And I saw the transformation after two weeks. Um, It was beautiful. But for me, it was the first time in my life that I had seen a woodland thriving. It was the first time I had seen it from the uh, the snow melting and then the grasses coming up in spring and then the flowers. I didn't realise this. Most trees will have their canopy in summer, which allows for springtime flowers. It didn't, such a simple, simple thing, and I'd never seen it before. And it all came to a head when we were doing this walking tour through the forest, and my friend picked up a mushroom. She's like, This. <laughs> this is the reproduct- reproductive organ of the mycelia. And I'm like, what on earth is that? What is, what is mycelium? And she said that there was an integrated fungal network that existed in the soil that connected all the trees together. And it was like a moment of satori, of revelation. I felt I wasn't in a forest. I, at that point, I could feel it beneath my feet. I could see it in the trees and I was covered in the canopy. I really felt like I was a part of the forest. And it blew my mind that I was 30 years old and it took me that long to see it.
0: So you had a kind of an awakening. Yeah. Um, and then you came back to to make a difference. So when you realised how bad deforestation was in, in Ireland, were you alarmed?
1: I was upset. Yeah, I was upset because it's, it's such a... We, we, we evolved from this. You know, we're supposed to be in nature but we've just relegated it to these little areas. And I think it's a fundamental part of like a healthy life to be in this space, to to feel connected and grounded. So it, it, it was a call to action to do something about it. And I know there's people across the whole island doing amazing work. So And it, it creates a community. Just like the ecological complexity builds resilience in a habitat, we need social complexity. We need to be approaching this from different angles. So we're just one of many that are trying and I celebrate all the people around the island that are making the effort.
0: So the deforestation, as you explained, was is a big part of the problem. Um, but... Deers over overgraze, and deer. The management of deer is a whole other conversation mm. as well. That is happening for sure, and and there's definitely, you know, the right people are trying to do the right thing to manage the deer population. Particularly, I know in Wicklow, it's rampant, but but deer are overgrazing. Is that correct in the forest floor? Yeah, that's and, exactly. And what kind of problems does that call? Why is that a problem?
1: Um, so it's like a double edged sword because the the deer will eat. Everything. They'll, they'll graze, they'll, um, they'll stop the regeneration of trees and flowers, but they won't touch the invasive species. So what happens is they clear away the native and create space for the invasive. Um, and there's no census of deer in Ireland. so I no. don't know how much, how much deer there are on the island, but in the UK they do keep a census. And the deer overpopulation is growing beyond the infrastructure to control it. And I suspect the same thing is happening here. And that's why in the last 16 years of reports, deer overgrazing has been preventing any new tree growth.
0: Uh, And deers are are allowed, you know, literally just the population is exploding because there's no natural predators, because they've been extinct now, wolves, Mm -hmm. that, that would have been their natural predator. So the deer problem is in of itself another issue, but it's certainly not helping with the forests, right?
1: No, and as a matter of fact, our forestry now is actually making it worse. Really? Yes. So we have these uh, monoculture plantations. They're very still, very quiet, kind of spooky. <laughs> and when uh, deer use them for, for nesting, well, nesting, these are for their, they, they, their denizens. This is yeah. where they hang out. And there's a correlation between the growth of these sicker spruce plantations and the reports of deer uh, overgrazing. And from speaking to different landowners, they have these huge... Uh, monoculture plantations beside their native woodland and the deer don't eat the Sitka spruce because it releases these chemicals that are just bitter and unpleasant. So they'll live in the Sitka spruce plantations and then they'll come into the native woodlands and they'll eat everything and then go back. It's a good life. Oh dear. So... But Now,
0: the third part of the problem, again, and you touched gently on it there, is invasive species, and the deer aren't helping with that either, which would mm. be a big help to the problem. I, I was really, I, fe- I fell into this last night reading about this the, the cherry laurel that people put in their gardens. So, t- talk to me about the problem with invasive species of plants in the forest.
1: So, I actually brought some cherry laurel here, and you can have a look it's at it. It's very pretty. It is. It's, uh, it's actually used in bouquets. Um, yeah, it's, so kind
0: of, it's kind of a long, narrow, banana sort of shape, leaf, green. Nice
1: green and waxy, evergreen. Yeah. So it's actually a great time to be talking about it because as we go into the winter, if you go into a forest, if you see a big green bush, that's most likely cherry laurel. So there's lots of different invasive species, but I focus on cherry laurel because it seems to be forgotten about. It's actually sold in garden centres. Oh. It was introduced uh, to for English landscape gardening because beautiful waxy leaves uh, it also makes great hedging as a matter of fact there's cherry laurel planted in front of the RTE studio so I noticed <gasps> on the way in shock uh, but I, but that's just the nature of it because these things are sold there's absolutely no warning they're poisonous the deer won't eat them they're from Turkey they love rich Irish soil they grow uh, very well and what'll happen is a bird will take one of the, the berries it'll fly into the forest it'll drop it and just takes over the forest Nothing grazes on it. It grows into this permanent uh, evergreen thicket and it kills all the herbaceous layer. And that's we've been going in to forest to remove it. And it's a monster. Its tenacity to live is respectful. It's really an incredible plant. But we cut some down, turned it into firewood, bagged it, came back a few months later and there were green leaves growing off the logs. Really? Yeah. So it's like the alien species
0: of bushes. <laughs> it literally is. It's, it's wow. Stuff of nightmares. Uh, uh, now, I read as well, rhododendrons are not great either.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, so funny because there's rhododendron festivals. People celebrate the rhododendron. They come from Asia. There's over 90 types of rhododendron, but there's just one that's invasive. Um, but they each, I think each flower has maybe 7,000 seeds. Oh, wow. So, and the problem is, again, just to
0: be clear, if I'm going to my local garden centre and I buy my cherry laurel and my rhododendron, they look absolutely gorgeous. And I bring them to my little garden in my lovely little house in my little estate and wherever I live in Tallah, where I'm from, actually, and I put it there. I, is it, I'm is i thinking, well, it's in my
1: garden. It's not going to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. But that that's not true, right? No, no, it's not. It is a problem. It's, it is because it's all interconnected. You know, nature doesn't believe in your garden wall. You have the shrubs there, the birds will take the berries and they'll fly off into the forest and then they'll destroy the forest. And it's sad because I think a lot of gardeners are very ecologically conscious. You know, they're like, um, they're they're really doing incredible work. I know because I've got friends and my family as well. They're into the gardening uh, and and it's not intended. They just don't know. They get these shrubs on sale. Cherry laurel, lovely, great garden hedge planted. And next thing you know, your forest down the road is at risk. Okay, so
0: this is very clear now, and I think people listening to this will understand it. And we're, but we're not going to leave them out there on their own, own, are we? No. Because you have a solution.
1: We do have a solution. Yes. Yes. Come on, tell me all. Um, so we're going into these forests. It's just just to give a bit of context. Uh, Quilcher removed twenty six hectares of the uh, of cherry laurel in Sligo from the Hazelwood Forest in Sligo between two thousand five and two thousand nine. Wow. And now they've announced another thirty acres, uh, hectares, over the next four years. Um, these are expensive, really expensive operations, and they're really localized. And considering the pervasiveness of the issue, it's not a suitable solution. So we have to decentralize. Okay. So we've been going out with saws and removing these infestations by hand and turning it into firewood, which we give away to people for free. So when we talk about, like, I think integrated solutions rather than burning peat, this is an alternative. It's a shrub. So it doesn't require a felling licence. It's not a tree at all. And uh, it burns beautifully. It burns really, really well. And while you're burning your, your laurel logs, you're also saving your forest as well.
0: So that is an immediate and brilliant solution. Um, so, and you're doing it on a voluntary basis, right? Oh, yeah. And all of you are doing it. It's so great, crack. And you said there's over 100 people. Yeah. Being involved. So if people wanted to volunteer, how can they find out more information?
1: Uh, We go out every month. Uh, The last Sunday of every month, you can check out the Gaelic Woodland Project. Very inclusive, supportive uh, and the community coming together is fantastic. We had 40 people out the day of the All-Ireland in the rain with the radio playing the game. And we spent, we got there 10 o'clock, we removed a lot of laurel, we had lunch together, removed more laurel and then afterwards pulled out the Illum pipes, fiddles, Oh, brilliant. songs, poetry. It was just wicked sharing food together. It didn't leave until 7pm.
0: Wow, you've got a lovely text in here. Hi, Brendan. The Gaelic Wood, Gaelic Wood Project and OWN are heroes for Irish biodiversity and preserving and protecting our native forests. I live in Wicklow. We're overrun by deer and forestry beside overrun by deer. Dead zones and no new growth in the monoforest. So worrying and depressing.
1: So how can people get in touch with you? They can find us. You'll find us. We make a business to be found. You can go onto our <laughs> website. Uh, we're also very active on Instagram. Uh, we take donations uh, for the forest. And like, as, as I said, we're all volunteers. So absolutely everything goes into buying land. It's a direct conduit. And, uh, and then if you do donate, you get added onto our newsletter list. And then, of course, we're always out in Meath. We're doing our work in Meath, removing uh, infestations and then we're buying land in Mayo.
0: I just want to ask you
1: very quickly, what's your vision? Uh, My vision is, uh, it's uh, it's quite grand. I don't think we have time to talk about it in full. Give me your elevator
0: pitch. Okay, the
1: elevator pitch. (laughs) I want to see strategic regeneration of the landscape for multiple ecosystem services. So we have uh, agriculture is 40% as polluting our waters. It's 40% of the pollution that goes into our waters. We can plant trees, to protect our waterways. So if we integrate forestry into our water management, we can protect our waterways. With these strips of forest that go along rivers, we can connect isolated patches of habitat. 73% of our forests aren't large enough to ecologically function. They don't have to be 25 hectares. We expand those sites. We incorporate trees into, at the moment... You're, a, f- man the oh, you're a man lot. with yeah, a plan, you're A lot, yeah. It's a big list. <laughs> at
0: Gaelic Woodland Project or, at, or gaelicwoodlandproject.com and you'll find Owen and the rest of these incredible people doing incredible work for Irish forests. Thank you so much. It was great chatting to you. Appreciate the time. Let's take a break. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you.